My name is Britta. My name is Annika, and we're the Banal Sisters. Today's scripture reading is from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1-10. through 10. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. Good morning, everybody. Uh, I really want to say how much I've enjoyed doing this this last series that has allowed me to uh, focus in on some of the main themes in my uh, my life and also in the main thing in the Bible, in the person of Jesus Christ and his kingdom. And uh, today, uh, I want to explore something that's always fascinated me, and that is the relationship between the Bible and the modern psychology movement, and particularly the word shame. And it's a huge uh, topic in the Bible that begins in the in the Garden of Eden. That's where shame gets introduced with those fig leaves, you know, and and um, there, there was shame there, and then it it carries on all the way through. And shame is part of our life today, but in a traditional culture, traditional cultures are characterized by shame and honor. There's kind of this dance that goes back and forth between shame and honor. And if you're, if you have honor, then you're a good member of the community. And if you have shame, you're put outside the community. It's, it's uh, just the way traditional culture is. And that's what the Bible is uh, based in a traditional culture. We are moderns and we think a lot of times that we're beyond that. And of course, you know, and I know that shame is very much a part of our interior life, and it's also very much a part of our world. And so if you were to go on to a social media and post something that uh, was very inappropriate, you would be, the community of correctness would soon let you know about that. And there is a strong shaming in the political world, which we touched on last week, but both the left and the right are, are, there's just so much shaming going on right now in our world. So I think it's hugely relevant to us uh, in, in this in this time. Now, to shame uh, someone, if you do it socially, it's to say to that person that they are worthless, they are bad. Uh, that's kind of the messaging there. It's real simple, but it's really dark. And then what happens is it's not just a social message, it becomes a, a psychological message that we internalize and we say, I am bad, I am worthless, I am not valuable. And so uh, it has it has relevance in, in both ways. And 
I have this sense that, or I guess I call it a hope, that because shame is such a big thing in our world, that and that the message of the Bible is very much an answer to that shame, that people will realize who God is and want him in their lives and have way less shame. Shame's going to always be there in some measure, but we can grow and we can become less shame-based. So that's where hopefully where we're going to go today. Well, I want to just say a few things. Uh, this is the number six of seven and last or next week will be our, uh, be my last Sunday to preach here and acknowledge that uh, we would want to, and I say we, Patty and I would want to say goodbye to everybody in just the best way and and we're, you know, obviously that's a hard thing right now to struggle to do that. But there's some opportunities that we'll have. And um, I also wanted to say that uh, this next week I'm going to be doing all of the daily uh, devotionals or reflections, I guess they're called. And uh, so if if you want to catch that, uh, I'll see you there. But this morning I want to address this uh, shame topic and uh, in, in three parts, uh, the question of Paul in verses four or, or chapter four, verses one to six, second Corinthians is, uh, is he going to be shame based or is he going to be radiant? Because you'll see both of those concepts there. And then secondly, we'll look at the treasure that's in these jars of clay. And then the third thing is uh, to introduce another metaphor for our own beauty that might be healing for us. So let's get into uh, the first thing then is, is in chapter 4, uh, verse 1, Paul mentions that we do not lose heart. We do not lose heart. And that, isn't that, doesn't that sound wonderful? Like something you'd want to say? And the, the we for Paul is a reminder that he always has friends with him. And he's kind of the leader, but uh, there's always a we, it seems, with Paul. And it's his strength. His friendships are his strength. And so for us, and we're going to get through this pandemic and not lose heart if we have friends. And that's going to make it a whole lot better. But uh, this uh, encouragement to not lose heart, Paul's going to deal with that as he goes through this passage. And there's something there for us in general uh, as we try to go through this time uh, and not lose heart. But let's get more specific. And what's going on in Corinth is it seems that Paul is being ashamed or there are those who are trying to shame Paul. And then we're going to see that they're not successful. So uh, what are they? why would they try to shame Paul? Well, he... We know from elsewhere that, and particularly in Corinth, he had kind of a rocky relationship with the church in Corinth. And we have two letters. And we know that uh, there were some that didn't consider him a real apostle. And we know that there were some who didn't consider him very gifted. We get that from the first letter to the Corinthians. And then in 2 Corinthians, we have these uh, both here in the last verses that were read. And later on in this letter, we have these instances where Paul is a lot of bad stuff is happening to Paul. And somebody could say to about Paul, you know, Paul, you really don't have a very God-blessed life. Look at all the bad things that happened to you. You're shipwrecked. You have uh, all these times where you get beaten up. 
And uh, anyway, it's a long list. That, and, and so we don't know exactly, but somebody is trying to shame Paul. And Paul's response to that is simply to say, look, I don't use shameful uh, spin. I don't try to deceive. I don't, the only thing I'm going to do is speak the truth. And then uh, the, the, from that, Paul defends himself against whoever this is. And the first line of defense is to say, look, when I speak the truth, not every, sure, not everybody responds to it in a positive way. And he gives the reason for that, that people can't see the beauty of Christ. Uh, they've been blinded by the God of this world. They can't see the beauty in the life of Christ. And remember, I, I heard this recently about Jesus that just it caught me, that with all of the superpowers or supernatural powers that he had, the amazing things that he did, never once did he use those powers to advance his own interests or to increase his comfort or his wealth or his family's comfort or wealth or interests. Never once. And how many people can you, if you think about this world, how many people could you say that about? It's, is that not beautiful? I mean, I think that's beautiful. There's something in me that is attracted to that beauty. But Paul is probably speaking more of the death of Christ when he, he talks about people not seeing the glory of Christ or the beauty of Christ. And it's not obvious that because the cross was a place that was pretty darn ugly. And to be able to see that Christ actually chose to go there for us, that's where the beauty lies. And not everybody can see it. They, they just see a, another, you know, if you're in the first century, there were lots of crosses. Lots of people died on crosses. And, you know, another man dying on a cross, so what? Would have been the attitude of some as Paul uh, put this truth out there. But he's not. Here's the point. Paul is not responsible for people's reactions to him. He's not responsible for how people respond to him. He puts it out there and he lets it go. Okay, so he's not shamed by that accusation. Secondly, he's not shamed because he preaches not himself, or he, he's not communicating about himself. He's communicating about Christ. And uh, he, has, he has this sense of, of peace that comes when he's just, he's talking about Christ. Now, if he was concerned about himself and somebody criticized him, of course, he's going to be devastated. You know, if, if we're dependent on other people to affirm us, then just one word of criticism is going to bring us down every time. That, that's, a, that's a clue that shame is operating in us when we are really sensitive to people's criticism of us. And, and Paul didn't have that. He's, he's all about Christ. So here we have this principle of the main thing. Paul is keeping the main thing, the main thing. The main thing is Jesus Christ and his gospel. So that's the second thing. And then the third thing is where Paul says that this, this uh, glory is actually shining. This is the word radiant now. I mean, it's, it's related to the word radiant. This glory of Christ is shining in his heart. So he's not just proclaiming it with his mouth, but it, it, it lives in him. 
And let's, let's just slow down here a little bit and think about Jesus and shame. So the cross was, um, I guess you could say, perfectly designed to maximize not only physical pain, but psychological shame. I mean, you couldn't, I can't imagine anything better at doing shame than the cross. So you're, it's very public. It's outside of the city. So shame always puts people out of community. It's outside the city, public, on the main road, in and out of the city. He's totally naked, regardless of whatever artwork you've seen. And he is being spit on and mocked. I mean, it is, it is, can you imagine anything more shameful? And yet, the book of Hebrews tells us in chapter 12, verse 2, that Christ scorned the shame that was heaped upon him. And that he was able to do that because he was fixed on obeying his father and he knew what his mission was. So he, Christ did not experience the shame of the cross. I mean, it was, it was put upon him, but he didn't absorb it into himself. That's a beautiful picture. Now, this is the Christ that's living and shining and radiating through Paul. It's a beautiful picture. I want to tell you a, a story uh, that happened in 1996. And in my Bible, uh, when in, in some places, at least when I have a, a story that relates to a verse in my Bible, I'll make a little notation there with a name and a date. And I have this notation in Psalm 34, verse five. I'll get that up in a minute, but I want to tell you the story first. Um, I was a, a new pastor to Alaska. This was in the first year of, of being in Alaska. And this pastor's conference for our pastors was when Jesus talked about the ends of the earth. This was officially what he was talking about. Nunavak Island in the Bering Sea. So it's an island out in the Bering Sea. And then there's this little village there called Makoryuk. And um, I was there uh, for this conference, and I I was walking back from the, the church where we were meeting to the home where I was staying, and it was April. So in my Bible, it says April 16th of 1996. And... Um, I was so cold. It, it, I know it was April, but it felt like middle of January, and the snow was blowing sideways. That uh, I, I went into a, uh, a laundromat that was there in the village, and of course, you know, laundromat. You know, I'm smart enough to know that it's usually a warm place. And I sat down and I began to read, and uh, I got into a conversation with a woman named Jean. So I have I have her name written next to this verse in my Bible. And Jean began to tell me her story. I told her I was a pastor, and first time I've ever been to that village. I never, I've never been back. But uh, she told me uh, about her life and how she had grown up in that village. And like a lot of uh, Native Alaskan uh, young people, they go to Anchorage. And now she had come back. But what happened when she went to Anchorage is that she ended up living on the streets and and alcoholism was very much a part of that. And um, her story uh, goes deeper than that. 
there was, as with many Alaska Native women, there was sexual abuse in her story. And so there was, and there was shame associated with that. Very common. And so the shame associated with that, the alcoholism, streets of Anchorage, and now trying to get her life back together, she comes back to her village and is involved there in the church where I was, uh, where my conference was. And so we were were talking about this. But as she talked about uh, her life and, and allowing Christ into her life, she began to radiate. Now, I, I don't know how else to say it, but she lit up. And she quoted this verse. Now, go, I'll go ahead and put that verse on there for you. This is from um, Psalm, yeah, uh, Psalm 34, verse 5. I'll read it for you. Those who look to him, that would be to God, and we would say to, who look to Christ, are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. And if you think about what, what shame is and what it does to your face, just think about what it does to your face. It, it's the opposite of radiance. And I want you to think of Paul as he's writing this letter and as he's living his life to have, and people are trying to put shame on him, but he's not going for it. He's able to resist other people putting shame on him. And he does that, you know, first of all, he's focused on the truth and the truth, of course, it's not received by everybody, but that's not a shame to him. He focuses on speaking about Christ, not himself. And speaking about Christ and not himself is an antidote to shame. And then the third thing is he has Christ who resisted shame living in him. And he radiates Christ. So that's that's how Paul handles this. And the invitation there is for us as well. Okay, so now he goes to the, the jars of clay, the treasure in the jars of clay. He wants to give us an image, his teaching. And so a good metaphor would be this jar of clay. So we're the jar. Paul is just saying, and, and the word for jar here. Uh, the jars of clay would be, the image would be one that's not decorated or painted or fancy in any way. It's just everyday, ordinary jar of clay. It's not special. But what's in the jar is the treasure. And that's what Paul is is getting at here. So uh, it's it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful picture um, and this is Paul. I want to just bring out this one thing with Paul because he he says it elsewhere that he is the worst of sinners, the absolute worst of sinners. And he also calls himself the scum of the earth. And th- those are two extreme sayings of Paul. And yet I want to I want to argue that when he's saying that he's not doing the self-loathing thing that you might think, because elsewhere he says, uh, follow my example. Be like me, Paul says. What, what Paul has discovered is in not allowing shame to define who he is, he's able to say things like that and not experience the shame of them. And Paul has great ego strength without a big ego. So the strength of ego 
that positive, healthy strength of ego. You could call it self-esteem if you want. But he doesn't have the big ego that comes from thinking that you're the treasure. And his life is full of joy. Now, uh, I wanted to just reference a, a, a modern writer on shame. Andy Crouch has some real insight here. And what he's saying is that, um, and remember what shame is, it's that, that voice that says you're worthless and it's both social or psychological and social. Or, and we hear it from others and we absorb it into ourselves. And um, what, what he, he says is that, yes, uh, traditional culture functions on this, this uh, in this sort of shame, honor kind of dance. And... Um, and that to be a person of honor is to be in the community. But he also, but he says modern culture, we, we changed it to it's now shame and fame. And here's how he says that, that the, we believe that the way to uh, avoid shame or to sort of inoculate ourselves against shame is to brand ourselves. And this is where he's getting at here is social media, but you could probably do it in other ways. And, to, uh, try to, to try to make ourselves famous. And by making ourselves famous, we, we build ourselves up enough so that we don't have to experience that, that shame. But what he's saying is that it doesn't work. And uh, we know it doesn't work because we still have those voices, the psychological voices inside of us. And all we're really doing, to use Paul's imagery, is we're redecorating the jar of clay to try to make it look better. And we're still not, we still don't have that treasure in us. And it's really a fruitless effort. So I share that with you. I'm trying to help us get out of our shame base into something that would free us up to be radiant, the radiance of Christ. So I want to give you one more, this this other imagery that I came across. Uh, Patty and I were, uh, we came across this a while ago. It just really struck me. And it has to do with a Japanese art form called Kintsugi, Kintsugi, and, or Kintsugi, I guess it is, the hard G. But uh, I'm going to show you some pictures in just a moment, but I'll try to describe it first. It, it's about 500 years old, and we, we heard uh, a, a Japanese Christian talking about it, and it was so engaging, it's so neat, and it fits kind of into this sort of with the jar of clay thing. But when a ceramic, let's just say a ceramic jar, if you were to drop it, it would be in pieces. It would be broken. And this art form is about, what would we do in Western culture? Well, we would either throw it away as worthless, or we would get our super glue out and try to make it look like it did before. But this art form takes that, those broken pieces of ceramic, and it puts them back together with gold filling. And so the word kintsugi means uh, rejoining gold. And I want you to think, this is this was the, uh, this artist was talking about, think of this gold as the gospel of Jesus Christ, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's, it's really the treasure that has found its way into the cracks. And it, if you think of your life as uh, uh, pieces of, of broken pottery, it has wonderful redemptive 
meaning to us. So I'll go ahead and put those. I've got two different slides here to show you what this looks like and how beautiful it is. And the thing to uh, maybe point out here is that when it's, so you have the original, um, you know, there was an original jar that was broken. Well, this is way more valuable. It's way more beautiful. And now it's way stronger than the original is how it comes out. Now think about that for yourself, for myself, that we are these clay pots and we're in pieces, we're in fragments. And God is in the business of putting us back together, using the gospel to fill in those cracks, to make us beautiful. It's really a healing image, isn't it? There he's, think of the scars in your life as those lines. And what does he fill those scars with? But the gospel in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know. I, I don't know about you, but I just find that really, really attractive. And my hope is that you can see yourself as one of these Kintsugi clay pots that are so beautiful. Can you see yourself? Can you see the beauty of the gospel in you? Can you see how there's no shame in those lines? That those lines are a part of your beauty as God gets a hold of them. You are beautiful. Let us pray. Lord, um, I guess the first thing we need to do is just confess that we are far too shame-based. We are prone to listening to the voices of other people and then our own voices of self-loathing. And not to your voice, Lord, that brings healing to our lives. Your voice that, it actually, you do treasure us, Lord. We are your treasure. If you are our treasure, there's such healing in our lives. Thank you for these images, Lord, from the Apostle Paul and through the Japanese art form. Thank you, Lord, for, um, you're the author of all of that, ultimately. So we thank you for that. And I want to, um, uh, I just want to pray and um, for all of us to enter into this prayer and to really think deeply about our um, ourselves as clay pots or clay jars and to imagine ourselves being poured into or to imagine ourselves being healed in those broken places. And, you know, whether it's for the first time or in a renewed way, to see the reality of God's grace and to give in to it and to thank God for it and to say, I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. You are beautiful. I love you, Lord. You have made me beautiful. Thank you. In Christ's name, amen.